Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. Ross Simmons. Once I got over my fangirling, I settled in to talk to him about his aspirations, about the $150 million company he's building. I love that ambition and how he's doing it virtually. We're going to also dig into the business of content and the distribution of that content. So if you want to learn about setting up a remote work team, lessons from his grandmother, when to delegate and not to delegate, and the importance of curiosity, please join me on this episode. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. My guest today is the great Ross Simmons of Foundation Marketing. Welcome, Ross. Hey, Wendy. Thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be here. Excited for an episode today. I hope folks get a lot of value out of it. I'm excited to jump in. I have no doubt about that, Ross. No doubt about that. I'm going to start with my first controversial question. (laughs) I see a lot of stuff from you about hustle and hard work, and I feel like it's this contrarian view. Almost everyone's like, no, you need all this time off and you need self-care and you need to do all this really good stuff for yourself. Um, Tell me about this position you've taken. Yeah. So I think two things can be true at once. I think we as society really have started to get into this world of like black and white, where it's either this way or it's that way. And in reality, you have to recognize that two things can be true at once. One thing that is true is that no matter what, whether you like it or not, those who work hard actually have demonstrated over the course of history to be able to go further and do for more and have a bigger impact and things of that nature. So it's just common sense. It's common sense that if you work hard, you're going to have the ability to unlock more opportunities. If you give two people the exact same birth, the exact same life, and one person happens to work harder than the next, all things being equal, the person who works harder is going to get further in life. There's no debate about that. But lately, there's been a lot of a lot of uproar around this idea of, oh, don't be preaching hustle. It's not good. It's not great. But in reality, if you're not happy with where you are in life, the best way to get to where you do want to be in life is to work hard. And when I talk about hustle, I'm not just talking about it from a professional capitalism lens, although that is one of my favorite industries and worlds. I'm talking about hustle as it relates to your personal life. I hustle every single day to be a great dad. I hustle every single day to be a great husband. Those are things that you can also hustle towards to kind of unlock the best version of you. But there is this sentiment in the world right now, especially in the Western world, it's not global by any means, that hustle is bad. And I don't think that's true. Now, here's the other thing. It is also important to know that, yes, you do have to take care of yourself. It's important that you sleep. 
Sleep is key. If you don't sleep, you literally die. And if you want to hustle, you have to be alive. So it's important that we sleep, folks. You have to do that. It's important that you take care of your body. It's important that you go to the gym. It's important that you work out. It's important that you do all of those things, which is why I say like it's important to try to figure out what is best for you. And a lot of gurus and marketers and business people will say, no, you don't need to work hard. But what people forget is that these people are saying it after they've made it, after they've achieved it. <laughs> So true. And oftentimes they spent many late nights working and grinding and putting in a lot of work. And then they get to a point where they're successful and then they say, oh, you don't have to work hard. Right. So I think that's a, uh, it's a challenge that a lot of young people have to navigate because they're met with the LinkedIn post telling them don't work hard. You don't need to work. You don't need to put in all this time. And then they fast forward through their life and they're wondering why, why aren't I where I want to be? And it's because they made the mistake of falling into a trap of um, believing that you don't have to work hard to, to get something. So long story, a little bit longer. I think folks listening to this, if you are trying to decide when to work hard, when you shouldn't work hard, you have to start with the person in the mirror. You have to ask yourself, am I where I want to be in life? If you are where you want to be in life and you are completely content with all things around you, you're content with your growth trajectory, your skills, your career, your path, by all means, it's time to chill. You can chill. You can relax. But if you have aspirations that are above and beyond where you are today, then there's only one real thing that can give you the ability to get there, and that's putting in the work. And if you want to accelerate your timeline, then working hard is going to give you that. So that's kind of my belief. It's that um, at the end of the day, a lot of the negative sentiment around working hard and hustle is actually misplaced. And you have to have a bit of a, a nuanced opinion around it and recognize that not everyone is content with where they are. And it's okay for those people to put in that extra work because everyone's self-care looks differently. My self-care is working on a presentation or working on a blog post. It gives me joy. So if it gives me joy, it's not really work for me. That's amazing. So here you are, it's 2022 and uh, you started your business foundation marketing when, 2014? 2014, yes. Yeah, so we're eight years in. Yeah. Uh, how big is your company now? Yeah, so we're 35 plus. Um, we, we work with people all over the globe, everything from some of the largest SaaS companies in the world all the way through to small and upcoming startups. Um, we, we do some great work right here in Nova Scotia, but our team is global. We've got folks who are in the US, we've got foundationites who are on the West Coast, we've got foundationites that are in Nigeria, that are in Ireland, all over the globe. So um, yeah, we, are, we have seen some amazing growth in the last year. I think we've grown... 400%, something wild like that, um, and showing no signs of slowing down. And the plan is to continue with that growth. We have no small goals in any way. Um, the vision long-term is to have a $150 million business on the back of this thing. And that's kind of like what we're striving for. So uh, we have definitely no small goals in what we're trying to build. I'll say not. Um, if we could, I'd like to dive into the remote work thing because yeah. um, I suspect you were doing it before the pandemic when uh, yeah. a lot of people put their toe into that water maybe and are maybe back and back out but um what's how how are you setting yourself up for success there how are you uh building a corporate culture and maintaining that culture deliberately through your actions with your remote workers yeah so we've been remote work since the beginning and it was intentional so for me when i was working in uh, my first career it was in the office everyone had to go to the office that was the way that it operated um, and prior to even starting foundation i told myself i wanted to create a company where we could attract some of the best minds in the world and ultimately give people the ability to um, maintain some flexibility in their lives while also giving them the ability to do some of their best work so 
the way that we do it is we invested a lot into an high quality onboarding experience. Our onboarding experience is filled with documentation. It's filled with videos that people have to watch. It's filled with in-depth experience where they go through and learn the foundation way. We have spent a lot of time intentionally planning and trying to create the perfect first week. And on that first week, we have them meeting teammates, meeting other foundation nights. We have them put into a designated Slack channel. We have company swag and documentation delivered to them. Um, those are some of those things and make sure that upfront the onboarding experience is strong. We then believe in over-communication. So we're big believers in written words. So there's a lot of documentation. There's a lot of emails that are being sent. Um, those things happen often. As any CEO and founder would know, you also have to repeat the mission and the, docu the, the vision and the goals over and over again. And we do that. We have transparent documentation that showcases our goals, where we're going, um, our metrics, KPIs, all of that is transparently shared. Folks know everything that's going on in the business. And if they want more information, they can get access to it. We celebrate wins regularly. So we have shared Slack channels where the team is always talking publicly about what their wins are. We're celebrating each other. We do a regular um, award to foundationites who are living up to their values. Uh, we do coordinate and schedule regular um, sessions with the team on training and development, both professional and personal training and offerings. Uh, we make sure that our goals are transparent because we think high performance is rooted directly in your ability to see your goals and what you want to accomplish. Um, we have um, always hired self-starters, so people who try to really uh, jump in and make an impact themselves and also have that ability to really communicate uh, in a way that is meaningful and place a lot of emphasis on that. Uh, and then on top of that, we have some Slack channels that are just for fun. So we have some channels that are random and water cooler moments where people will ask questions or uh, an AI will put up a question inside of our Slack and it will say, where's somewhere cool that you've been or what has, uh, what is the last, um, what was the last sweet that you ate? And then people will have conversations about that. And then we also have a pets channel where the I team, loves, the cat videos, where everybody is always talking about pets and cats and things like that. So there's a lot that goes into it, but I would say the biggest thing is being very intentional. A lot of people kind of just were forced into remote and didn't think about how to do it. And because of that, they kind of just did it in some type of like sloppy way where they brought over a lot of the old ways of business into this new modern approach. Uh, and it's kind of cost them in some ways where the culture just doesn't um, evolve with the remote time. So um, those are some of the things that we do. Hopefully some folks can find a nugget or two out of there yeah, that they absolutely. can fill in, uh, use themselves. I love the over-communication, the perfect first week. Um, one of the things that um, comes up for me is that you have to build trust with your yeah. team in particular. Um, and how do you, how do you, uh, I've seen some posts where you talk a lot about you trust right up front. Yeah. Where does that come from? Yeah. So the trust up front is really, I would say something that for me has been rooted in just like my my upbringing. My grandmother always gave me this essence when I was a young kid to like, give everyone a shot until they prove you otherwise. And that's kind of always been at the forefront of my approach to business. It's like, I will give everyone the respect. I will give everyone my trust. And until they break that trust, then there's no reason to go into something assuming bad intent. Um, and it just makes it easier to sleep at night. So when I, 
I always talk about the idea internally, we have this discussion around a trust battery. Um, and the trust battery is this concept that is kind of stolen from video games. But if you ever played The Sims or any of these simulators of human interactions, when you meet someone for the first time, you essentially have a bar. You have a bar of trust with that individual. And when someone makes a decision to join your company, that trust that they have with your company is typically at 50 to 60. Um, it's probably at 60 because they just agreed to join you. So they feel really good about that. Yep. What you have the opportunity to do as an organization, as a leader, as a manager, is to see that person's trust battery increase. And every day there's going to be interactions that give you the ability to see that trust battery increase or decrease. Yep. If you are public publicly shaming someone inside of a Slack thread or an email, yeah, yeah. the trust battery goes down, right? The same thing happens in our personal lives. We all have trust batteries with our friends, our partners, our kids, et cetera. And we want to maintain high levels of trust, but you have to intentionally charge those batteries. You have to intentionally put in the time to establish trust and strengthen trust. And there's things that you can do every single week to do that. First, it starts with yourself being transparent, talking about both the good and the bad, not BSing anyone when it comes to when there is a problem. You don't kind of just throw it to the side. You talk transparently about it. You talk openly about it. And you make sure that everyone is aware of kind of your own thoughts and perspectives. And you know how to navigate that as it relates to, of course, different um, relationship levels inside of the org. But the key at the end of the day is trust, as you've mentioned. And when you trust your team and you get out of their way, I believe that magic happens and you're able to unlock some, uh, some great returns. That's awesome. Uh, I also think of the term social capital. Mm, um, I think that. That, that a lot, you know, when I'm interacting with people about, have I, you know, how much have I given before I ask or vice versa? Right. Thing. Right. I'm always right. thinking about that. Yeah, I love that. That's a great way to, to think about it. I think social capital is a great descriptor. It's like you want to go into the relationship trying to find a bit of a value exchange and ensure that both parties are, are leaving it better than they were when they first came into it. Yeah, I totally agree. I had another topic for, I'm going to go roll into role models because cool. um, I was going to bring up your grandmother, but you beat me to it. <laughs> um, she sounded like an amazing woman. Uh, and it feels like she was a grandmother to many. She was. She definitely was. Yeah, the entire community kind of wrapped their hands around uh, Nana for, for a long, long time. And she was always there for a lot of folks. Yeah. And I think she, she, like you said, she had a lot of impact and influence on you through her lessons that she taught you day to day just by her actions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest piece. It's like I can remember as a young kid just seeing and watching this lady create meals for the entire community where I would have friends over at her place and she would cook these massive meals for like 20 kids. And it was like, this is wild. Like that's, that's amazing to kind of think she didn't need to be prompted. No one even said that they were staying over for dinner, but she would just like create this thing and then invite everyone in, um, call everyone up the street and let them know that their kids were there. And it was just fascinating to watch. And I think um, between that and her, her commitment to always just picking up the phone and calling people uh, to see how they were doing was something that was also inspiring to see. And it inspires me to always try to be that person who reaches out for and there's a lot of different 
insights that I just have gotten from watching her exist and her time that she had on the planet um, was so meaningful because she also seen so much. She saw yeah. so many different things. She witnessed so much change and it never at any point kind of stopped her from striving to be a great grandmother and striving to be a great person on the planet. So um, she was definitely a super, super influential person as a part of my life. And I'm just thrilled to know that like my little ones had the opportunity to meet right. her um, and hopefully they'll be able to take those lessons that I I can take from her and pass down to them and they can take those as they go through their life as well. You're amplifying your grandmother every day. Thank you. I appreciate that. I definitely, definitely try. Who are your other role models in, as you grow your business? Are there people out there that you go, man, I like how they're doing that. Yeah, for sure. So one of my other role models who also has passed was Reginald F. Lewis. Um, he was an American businessman, uh, passed away in the early nineties, but he was one of the, the richest black business professionals um, in the 90s. And I believe he was one of the first black billionaires. Um, okay. And he bought a company called Beatrice International Foods um, for nearly a billion dollars. I think it was 985. And it was his business and his business acumen and story that kind of really inspired me to um, just become obsessed with the game of business and the yes. importance of diversifying your revenue streams and thinking about business in somewhat of a game in some ways where I read his book and it just blew my mind to think of how this person against all odds was able to create such a, a thriving business and also still give back to the community in so many yes. meaningful ways. Um, so he was, I believe he was one of the first donors to Howard University back in 88 with a, a $1 million donation. Um, he gave well, how, Harvard, big, how big was that back then? Like if we massive, that up, massive, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. And he was actually in 92, one of the, he gave one of the largest donations to Harvard. And it was like, wow. this is a black man who kind of was up against all the odds, has had a major impact in the industry that he worked in um, and is having a whole bunch of fun while just building a great business and trying to um, make an impact. So for me, he's definitely been something that someone that I've looked up to um, and uh, I've studied his career, never met him. Uh, in 93, I was a young pup um, when he passed, but I, I've definitely read his books and have kind of studied the way he navigated through his career to kind of take inspiration from that as well. Your business is making a profit. You're growing, but you may still feel like you don't fully have a grasp on how to make the best use of this success. Don't worry, you're not alone. Hi, I'm Wendy Brookhouse, creator of the Total Wealth Accelerator and host of this podcast. I've developed a quick and easy tool that will give you a detailed snapshot of where you're currently at in your business and wealth growth and how you can improve upon it. It's called your Financial Diagnostic Score. It's completely free and you'll instantly get the results. So head over to TotalWealthScore.com right now and see where you can focus to grow your wealth. Are you a role model? Am I a role model? I try to be for my kids. Um, mm -hmm. I think if the rest of the world is able to see anything in me that they can take inspiration from, then that's icing on the cake. But for me, the the main priority for my my actions and trying to be a role model is definitely for my little ones. And um, mm -hmm. I just hope that they can see in me something that uh, they can take off into their life and mm -hmm. add some positivity to the world. And if they do, then that's great. Um, if they can find happiness from seeing their dad's approach to life, then that will be a, a good thing for me. And on the flip side of that, if others see anything in me that is 
positive that they want to kind of be inspired by, then that's also just icing on the cake for me. Awesome. Awesome. I'd like to shift into delegation. Mm. Um, it's, it, you know, when you're building trust with your team, et cetera, but are there, what is the first thing you started to delegate and what yeah. won't you delegate? Ooh, that's a good question. So for me, delegation, I will delegate anything I'm not great at. Um, and there's a lot of things I'm not great at. So that's why we have a team of 30 some plus because those people are great at things that I'm not. Uh, so for me, I strive to delegate a lot of the things that I'm not the best in the world at and I never will be. So when it comes to things like project management, when it comes to um, the actual development of some certain types of strategies for clients, client relationships in some cases, um, those are things that I'm okay with delegating. Um, we've got some foundation nights that are really, really good at SEO. We've got some great foundation nights that are really, really good at Instagram marketing. Those are not necessarily things that I'm great at. Finance, um, the, do, the do's and don'ts of RRSPs and RESPs and all of that stuff, that's not where I'm great at. So we have HR people who can tackle that. Running the balance sheet, doing all of that. We've got a great um, accounting team that does all of those things. I delegate off the things that are in are outside of my circle of genius. I know where I'm great, which is in the development of content assets. I know that I'm great um, at sales. I know that I'm great at building relationships. And I know that I'm great at kind of uh, establishing the vision and the direction of the org. And those are things that I wouldn't delegate. Um, I will train people to create content next to me. I will train people to learn how to unlock their greatness inside of content creation and presentations and storytelling and things of that nature. Um, but it's something that I also get joy out of. So I will continue to do those types of things for, for years to come. That's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about, you do have an accounting team that's amazing. So um, people who know me know I love talking about money. I try and for take sure. some of the shame and, and uh, you know, power it has over us because we don't yeah. talk about it away. Yeah. So um, what, how do you know, what do you track to know that your business is performing the way you want to? What are you tracking? Yeah, good question. So we, the, we have a handful of different metrics um, mm -hmm. that we consider kind of like our scorecard and yeah. scorecard is rooted in revenue. It's rooted in profit. Um, it's rooted in total active customers. It's rooted in profitability per employee, um, revenue per employee, uh, the number of SQLs. So these are indicators that are coming in. Uh, so sales qualified leads, mm. cash in the bank, contracts that are signed and out for signing. Um, and then we also look at it based off of the different business units within the organization um, as well. That's amazing. Um, uh, you know, I love that you're measuring profit. I love that you're measuring revenue because I think sometimes profit is that forgotten stepchild because everyone right. seems to focus on becoming this. I'm going to be a seven figure business. I'm going to be, well, you're going to be a very many figure business, but right. if you have no right. profit, what's the point, right? Exactly. So exactly. when you think about all of that, um, when it comes to growing mm. and you're growing very quickly, that can be a very cash hungry strategy. Yes. So how are you managing your cash in that respect? How do you, how do you decide I'm ready to grow to the next? I'm ready for someone else. I'm ready for someone else. I'm ready for yeah. someone else. Yeah. I think of it just like asset allocation um, when you're investing as an individual. So yeah. the same way that 
Warren Buffett would think about asset allocation, I'd think about it for the company, um, is that like cash is an asset. And with that asset, we need to make investments. Um, and the investments should be rooted in our goals as an organization, as well as our risk tolerance, as well as our kind of horizon as it relates to expenses um, and when we need to see ROI. So we do an analysis of looking at, okay, this is what our cash looks like today. This is what um, accounts receivable looks like. This is what accounts payable look like. This is what payroll looks like. Let's think about our goals, both short-term and long-term and make decisions and bets based off of those outcomes that we're looking for. So we, we view it primarily in that type of a, a model, mental model that we're running through on a regular yeah. basis of if we're going to be making this investment of X, like let's say, $150,000 worth of people plus new tools and training and resourcing, et cetera. Let's look at what the outcome would be from making this investment. What could we generate on the back of that? If it's immediately going to show us that in the matter of a few months, we're going to be able to pay, um, we're going to be generate, able to generate that investment back, then it's potentially a good bet. If it means that we're going to get that investment back in two years, that's not that great of a bet. So we would have right. to ask ourselves, what does a better investment look like for us? And then we start to think strategically around that. So it's a bit of a ongoing review surrounding goals, risk, um, ROI, things of that nature. Uh, I love the, this. I, I like the structure of that because I don't necessarily think people necessarily are as structured about that approach. So that's wonderful. Um, I'd like to move into your business. Like, the, what you do as a business at foundation yeah. and the word that came up for me was curious mm. I feel like you're curious about stuff that is fair that is fair um so how do you decide where to do your deep dives because I mean you have some you have amazing emails and amazing content you. but you went deep on stuff how do you yeah. decide yeah, so it's rooted in our own um, curiosity. And you're right, like curiosity is something that we believe is, is key. Um, we always talk about at Foundation, like you need to have a growth mindset that is rooted in navigating the fascinations of the world, right? Like there's so many different interesting things out there to just get lost in. And when you have that curiosity and you start to continue to look for different answers and signals, um, it just gives you the opportunity to kind of just unlock new ideas. Our approach, as I mentioned, is rooted at the core in just being naturally curious. But there's a lot of organizations who we just look at and we're like, we love what you're doing and we want to learn a little bit more about it. Um, we're natural learners and we just want to be curious by nature. And as a result of that, uh, we are constantly asking questions and having dialogues around those things. When we think about some of the great um, management consulting firms of the past decades, the McKinsey's, the Gartner's and things of that nature, the Boston Consulting Group, all of these orgs, in their DNA is often a bit of that curiosity. And Foundation is a handful of marketers who provide strategy and recommendations to some of the fastest growing companies all the way through to publicly traded cloud companies who are redefine their industry. And we have to be curious. We have to be curious to help these companies unlock new levels of growth, to help them unlock new levels of opportunity. So 
our curiosity is rooted in our ability to survive and thrive. And um, the moment we stop asking questions, the moment we stop getting excited about the geekiness of digital marketing, of SEO, of social media, of landing pages, of Google, of TikTok, et cetera, that's the moment we lose. So it's very much in our DNA to always want to find um, this type of just find stories that are worth worth watching and leading reading about talking about yeah i i I strongly believe in the question approach too i think it leaves you open to the answers and i feel like uh the world is changing too much for us to actually know everything that's it (laughs) if we can be open and curious then when we see a new way of doing something we're much more uh likely to adopt it or try it anyway exactly yeah 100 percent. i love that i think that's so key yeah, yeah. Now, um, right now you're talking a lot about distribution, backlinks, yes. SEO yep. modes. So maybe you could define a little bit of what those are. Yep. Um, what does distribution mean um, for your content that you're getting out there into the world? Right. Yeah. So we're on this podcast right now and somebody's listening to us in their ears. Amazing. That is great. But for a lot of t- a lot of times when people press publish on podcasts, they press publish on a new blog post, they press publish on something the piece lives and dies the day in which it goes live. It just mm-hmm. goes live. They expect the world to hear it and they expect that that's going to turn into something amazing for their life and career. Sometimes you get lucky and sometimes that will happen, but more times than not, what actually drives results from this asset that you've created or worked on is the actual distribution of that thing. For years, content marketing gurus have preached about the importance of creating content. And yes, it is important to create content. But when you create that content, you also have to distribute it. You have to share it on Twitter. You have to share it on LinkedIn. You have to put it on your Instagram story. You have to find that subreddit, that Slack community, that Facebook group, that network community and inside of your email signature, inside of a newsletter. You have to spread it so more people have the ability to get access to it. But for some reason, a lot of creators don't do that. They believe that the goal is to just create something and they get brownie points and excited about the idea of creating something, which I get. I get it because creation is hard. Creating is very difficult. When you go from a blank canvas to actually producing something, it gives you joy and gives you satisfaction. But what you need to also remember is that that satisfaction can be 10x when more people get to consume it. So you have to start sharing that thing. You need to promote that thing. And you have to get over the fear of being judged by your peers for being too promotional. Because at the end of the day, everybody has so many things that they actually care about more than whether or not you're being too promotional that it doesn't matter that much. And the reason why I say that is at the end of the day, right now, while someone is listening to this, they're going to hear this episode. They're going to hear that podcast. It's going to be great. I hope they get a lot of value out of it, but then they're going to go off and probably have to deal with a crying toddler. Someone's going to have to go deal with a dog that just pooped in the middle of the living room. And those are things that will now have your attention. You're not going to care if you happen to see Wendy promote this again tomorrow. It's not going to bug you. Because you're going to view it as someone is trying to add more value to their community and their network. So those are the things that you want to do. Those are the things that you want to invest in, um, is ensuring that you're distributing your stories consistently. Uh, It's amazing. We actually watched one of your videos and made a checklist (laughs) so that we could actually have a strategy to go through. Love Um, it. A lot of things you've been talking about, so you guys are content, your research, content, distribution, all those great things. I'd love for your comments on content as a builder of business value. Mm, Yes. So I think what a lot of people 
forget is every single day someone's going to Google and they're looking for a service, a solution, an offering. And that's wild to think about, especially when you think of the fact that there's millions of people doing it every single day. No matter what industry you're in, there is someone going to Google to try to solve a problem that you can solve for them online. And if your organization can invest in content, you can essentially establish a way to extract value from those interactions every single day. For example, I know with confidence that right now someone is going to go to Google and they're going to type in distribution marketing or content marketing distribution, et cetera. They're probably going to land on one of my blog posts. They're going to land on something that I've created. They're going to read it. They're going to go down the rabbit hole. Right now, someone is probably doing this and then they're going to buy a product from me. And I've created value out of that without right now doing any work because I published a piece of content months ago, years ago, that answered questions to a problem that introduced them to an offering, and they just spent $80, $90 to buy a product, a cheat sheet, a course, something that is ultimately going to result in essentially a dividend, if you will, to mm. me. In that mindset of creating content assets with the outcome of driving revenue is an amazing opportunity for brands. Some companies today are generating millions of dollars on the back of pieces of content that they've produced. And if you can do that, if you can produce and develop assets that generate millions of dollars in revenue, the opportunities are just endless. They're life-changing. So I believe content should be viewed as an investment because they can pay amazing dividends long-term. And it can really, add, like you say, add to the value because obviously you build the content uh, you distribute it widely a number of times, and then it, it's building more and more audience for you. People coming in and actually doing transactions with you, whether it's for some of your smaller products or a big engagement. Right. And that's adding to your top line, which is adding to your business value. Exactly. A hundred percent. Which I think is something we forget sometimes that we think of. Um, it almost, I think a lot of people think of it as a chore. Right, right. You know, it's something I have to do. And I'm not sure, you know, when you start thinking about the long term effect of that investment, it might become less more less of a chore. Mm, yes, I agree. I think so. I think that's the key. Like you have to view it as an investment. A lot of people make the mistake of thinking, oh, we're invest, we're creating content, we're putting this in and they view it as an expense. They're not viewing it as an investment. The money, the revenue, the time that you put into producing an asset could pay you for ever, right? Like there's a truth in the sense that sentiment that, okay, if I press publish on a piece of content that is so valuable to my community, my industry, it can pay me for a very long time. We have blog posts that we have produced that have generated over a million, $2 million in revenue solely because we press publish on a piece of content. And I think a lot of organizations think that you're just playing business by pressing publish on blog posts. There's no point. No, there's a major point. If you can produce something that is of immense value to your audience, that shows the way you think, that it has deep expertise and value, the opportunities are endless. Uh, you're in a B2B space. Do you have a channel you like more than the others or you spend more time on or is it, or is it everything? I like Twitter and LinkedIn. Those are the two channels that I like the most. Um, they are definitely the area where I would say um, we get the most value from and that we're seeing the most traction on. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Twitter and LinkedIn. That's cool. Okay. My, my, what haven't I asked you that I should have asked you that you think, oh my God, everyone needs to know this. Mm, good question. The one thing um, I would say, this is something that a lot of people already know and I'll, I don't know if your listeners will know this, but I think tech and digital 
is something that if you're not becoming more and more familiar with, if you're not looking to embrace it more and more in your career, in your business, in your life, you're missing out on one of the best opportunities um, ever in the time that you'll be on this planet. Like there's never been a better time to gain skills in digital technologies and to learn how to navigate the internet and unlock some amazing returns. It doesn't matter where you live. I don't care if you live in a rural place. I don't care if you live all the way on a different continent. The, the internet has become the greatest equalizer in the world. And if you have great ideas, if you are willing to put in the work and you can unlock the power of automation, the power of um, gaining insight and information from some of the greatest minds of our generation by simply following them on social, by subscribing to their podcasts, listening to their newsletters, reading their, watching their YouTube videos, you can create the life that you dream of. And I think a lot of people have not clued in to the power of the internet. You can reach almost anyone. One inbox, one email can change your life. One blog post can change your life. One podcast episode can change your life. And I do believe that if you are not happy with where you are in life, you can find a community, you can find a space, you can find people who are your people and unlock the life that you actually want to live. So for me, the biggest recommendation that I would leave anyone with would be don't be afraid of the internet. It's the greatest invention of our lifetime. Embrace it learn about it, leverage it, and use it. Um, and it will give you the ability to unlock your, your greatest imaginations and dreams. I love that. And I, I feel like uh, sometimes we get siloed in our industries. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's the biggest issue, like is busting past. Because I always feel in my industry in financial services that we're, we're in a bubble. And right. so, you know, the fact that I did 30% of my Zoom, of my meetings by Zoom before the pandemic. Right. Like, right. No one was doing that, right? Yeah. No one knew what Zoom was in my industry. Right. Uh, I, I got paid to talk about it anyway. But right. I feel like we have to somehow bust out of our bubbles and be and be open to looking at how others are doing yeah. it. And I think that's probably where some of your inspiration comes from, some of your deeper dives, is you're showing how others are doing it. That's it. So we can 100%. learn from it. Exactly. And that's the goal. The goal is definitely for folks to be able to see it, learn from it and take inspiration from it so they can build something themselves. Um, I think there's never been a better time to, to make things and create things. And if people can get inspiration from the work that we do or others and us sharing how others have done it, then uh, it's going to be a great win-win for everyone. Final question. We're going to have another conversation three years from today. What will have happened for you to be happy with your progress? Ooh, what will have happened in three years for me to be happy with the progress? Um, I would say it's not going to sound like most people will have expected, but I will be happy with progress if my kids are still happy. If my kids are still happy, if my then I'm good. That's really it. I'm a, a big softy when it comes to, to family and all of that good stuff. Business is great. I don't have any doubts that my business will go where it needs to go. Um, the key is for me to make sure that I never lose perspective of uh, my kids and that I'm always there for them. I love that. And uh, so how can people reach out to get a hold of you? 
Yeah, I'm on all of the various platforms. You can find me on Twitter at the coolest cool. I'm Ross Simmons on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram, the coolest cool as well. Um, you can also find me at foundationinc.co. As Wendy was mentioning, we publish a lot of great content on marketing and growth. Uh, we have a newsletter that I would strongly encourage folks to check out. And don't be afraid to go down the rosssimmons.com rabbit hole and all of the different other places that I produce content. Um, but Wendy, thank you for having me on. I hope you're listening has got a ton of value out of this. And I, I want to say thank you to you for contributing this type of content to the ecosystem and the world because it's uh, stories not like just my own, but some of your past guests that I think the world needs more of. And it gives people the ability to really learn and develop themselves and unlock their own uh, personal goats, which is the greatest of all time. So I appreciate you for having me on. Well, thank you so much. And the real bottom line today is that growth is rooted in fascination with the world. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.